Good morning. If you're here for the first time, thanks for checking us out today at LifePoint. We're in the second week of a series called Unseen, where we're looking specifically at a section of Scripture in the New Testament that describes a battle that we all face. It's in the New Testament book of Ephesians. It's chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This verse describes a battle that we all face. See, we have people in our lives that we think are enemies, but they're really not. This describes for us the real enemy. When I was in elementary school, I had a teacher who was my enemy because my my real name is Donald and I've gone by Donnie since I was born. But for some reason, this teacher, because it was written Donald on her paper, she would not call me Donnie. And I would say, hey, I would really appreciate if you just call me Donnie because everybody snickers when, I, when you say Donald. Uh, I'd just rather you not do that. And she said, no, your name is Donald, and that is what you'll be called in this class. And I remember thinking, all right, is that how it's going to be? Is that how we're going to roll this year? Because <laughs> this is not going to be a fun year. And I remember that year so vividly that it was probably the worst year of my elementary school because I thought this woman was my enemy. Turns out she was a very godly, great woman, it was me. (laughs) I was the one with the problem. Maybe she thought I was her enemy. But half of the battle, we talked about last week, half of the battle is learning how to fight the real enemy. See, you may think the enemy is the person who lives in your house, the person you work with or for, or that friend that you just can't stand, but that's not your real enemy. In fact, through this series, we're going to learn more and more about who the real enemy is, because if we spend more time trying to fight the real enemy, I guarantee you will have less of the perceived enemies in your life. So as I read today, I'm going to read a whole bunch of scriptures today. You don't even have time to go back and forth in your Bible. Just write them all down. Go on the website. I encourage you to go on the website. Download the uh, small group leader discussion guide. You can navigate through the resources page and find that. If you're in a small group, you're going to discuss all this this coming week in your groups. If you're not, Download that page anyway, sit around the table with your family and discuss some of the things that we're talking about in this series. So this, this battle between good and evil, it's, it's this cosmic battle that's really taking place according to this verse. That on one side there is God and all of his armies and legions of angels, there is his Holy Spirit and that, that army is fighting what is evil. And that is a guy named Satan who has his army, who has his demons, his bad angels, and the ones who help him. And it's a constant battle between the two for the souls of people. And it's important that we learn about this battle. You may, if you come in church for the first time today, you might think this stuff's really weird. But this is something we really need to know because as we understand our enemy better, the battle gets easier. This week, football teams everywhere will be in locker rooms looking at videotape 
of their opponents for the upcoming game. Because if they can study the opponent, they learn their offense, they learn their defense, they learn, hey, the coach says, hey, when, when he does that, you do that, and here's what we're going to do to go against that kind of offensive play or that kind of defensive play. And they do it, so when they get on the field in real life, and they're really playing the game, they're hoping that it gives them an edge. Well, if we do that with the spiritual forces of evil that are out to get us and we learn a little bit more about them and about him, Satan, who leads the spiritual forces of evil, we will be more likely to win the battles that take place for our souls, for our joys, for our marriages, for our relationships, for our contentment. So it's important as we start learning more about this battle that We go into it understanding Satan because that will help me win the battle. So if you wrote that down, make sure you don't put the comma in the wrong place. It's not understanding Satan will help me with my battles. It's understanding Satan, pause, will help me win win the battle. Because some people don't even think that there is a spiritual being called Satan. In fact, 40%, according to Gallup, of people who call themselves followers of Christ say they do not believe there is a real spiritual being called Satan, but Satan is just a representation of all that is evil, but he doesn't really exist. 49% of evangelical pastors question whether or not this real spiritual being exists. I'm obviously not one of them. I mean, people, people can go to extremes when we start talking about demonology or the origin of evil and think that, you know, there's a devil around every corner. You know, bad hair day, Satan must hate me today. Or I didn't get my way, so Satan's after my football team lost. So the devil was, was really riding us hard on the field. And people can get too, too worked up about it and focus too much on it and see Satan around every corner But also people can just dismiss him like he doesn't even exist. He loves both extremes. But there is a biblical perspective that we're going to get today about Satan, about this side of the the army that's out to get us all. There's a biblical perspective that we all need to get. So if you're you're taking notes, you're going to want to write a lot of this down. The first question people would ask, well, where did Satan even come from? If God created everything, why in the world would he create this evil, horrible being that's out to get us? So where did Satan come from? Satan came from heaven. Maybe never heard that before. But he really did. Satan was once on God's team. He was once on God's side. He was once one of the most powerful angels in God's heaven, in, in God's kingdom. He once was beautiful. God adored him. But then he chose to rebel. Satan was actually one of the angels appointed by God to guard the Garden of Eden that you can read about in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 1. The garden, he was there. He was, he was sent to be one of the guardian angels. There's a couple of prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about how this being called Satan 
came to be who he is. And I encourage you to read these when I give them to you. But as you read them, be careful because both of these prophecies are about earthly kings that existed at the time these prophets were writing. And the prophets, Ezekiel and Isaiah, they were pronouncing judgment upon these earthly kings. And as they were pronouncing the judgment on these kings, one was the king of Babylon, the other one was the king of Tyre. And as they were pronouncing this judgment upon them, they referred to a past event to talk about a present judgment upon these kings. So as you read it, it kind of weaves in and out talking about a present king, but also talking about something that could not possibly refer to any human being. And that's where we can kind of peel back the physical and see into this spiritual world. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, it says this. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So when Satan was here on the good side, when he was with God in heaven, something was so prideful in him that he thought, you know what? I think I can do God's job. Now we do that all the time, right? Try to do God's job for him. But this was like in a real spiritual sense, Satan was thinking, I can do that. And I think I can do a better job. And so in Ezekiel, in a prophecy about the king of Tyre, another part of this epic battle in heaven is, dis- is given by this prophet as he's talking to an earthly king. He says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. You were anointed as guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to earth and I made a spectacle of you before kings. So think about this. When you read about the Garden of Eden and the serpent appears to Eve and says, Oh, you can, you can do what God told you not to do. It doesn't, doesn't really matter because God doesn't want you to be like him. So he's trying to keep you down. And then Eve eats of this fruit she's not supposed to eat of because she was tempted by the serpent, by Satan. And then the world's not been fair ever since. Satan was the one given, one of the ones given to guard the garden. He takes on the form of a serpent. He convinces Eve to rebel against God. So this battle, this is when it all took place. And he was kicked out of heaven. And he took a bunch with him. Jesus talked about this battle in the book of Luke chapter 10. In just one little sentence, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Jesus was in heaven then, and so he would have seen that battle that the two prophets just talked about. In the book of Revelation, which is a a book of prophecy at the end of the New Testament, it was written to these first century followers of Christ to tell them things that would soon happen. But there's also nuggets of a future even beyond the first century that can tell us, like, what's it all going to end like and what's going to happen? There's a lot of different interpretations, but within that prophecy that's talking about the future, there is a reference to the past by the writer of Revelation, whose name was John, and he references the past so we can understand the imminent future that exists 
for Satan. It says, and there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought back against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. So this battle takes place. All was good. Now there's good, good and evil. And Satan doesn't just go quietly on his own. He loses the battle and he convinces a bunch of heavenly beings called angels to go with him. And that's where the demons come from. See, demons are not the souls of bad, dead people. A lot of people think that. That guy's a demon, I'm sure, after he goes. They might be toasty for eternity, but they're not, demons are not the souls of bad people who have died. Now, this, this all sounds like Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? If you're here for the first time, you're thinking, okay, I checked that church off. I don't think so. <laughs> but if we don't talk about this spiritual battle that's very real, because you know there are things that happen in your life and have happened in your life and others that you can't explain, that you don't know how to control. And if all we ever talk about is this is how you be a better dad, this is how you manage your money, this is how you read your Bible, uh, this is how you're supposed to treat others, then we'll totally miss this epic spiritual battle that's, that our souls are at stake in. And so this is something that people who follow Christ or are even investigating following Christ need to understand because if, if, when we stop understanding that what we see is not all that there is, then he's doing a really good job at winning the battle. So how does Satan and these demons work? It's an important thing to know. We need to know our opponent. How do they work? Well, the Bible says a lot of different ways, says they work in a lot of different ways. One way they work is they blind people from the truth. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. And, and the word blind in the original language of the New Testament, which was Greek, literally means to blunt the mental discernment. So Satan really can make people stupid. Or it means to darken the mind. Have you ever met anyone, if you're a follower of Christ, you've met someone, you've invited them to church, you've tried to tell them about the things of God, you've tried to share the faith that, that's in you with them in hopes that they would take a step. And no matter what you do, no matter how many years go by, they seem to not have any interest in knowing the things of God and getting them into their lives. That's because Satan can blind the minds of people who don't have the Spirit of God living in them. Have you ever seen this show, Intervention, where a family will decide it's time to intervene in this addiction or or? Something somebody's hooked on or, or something. So the, the family gets with the therapist and they call the family member in and they say, look, you need to stop. And if you don't stop, you're out. Practicing tough love. And many times it works. And the person goes to counseling and the person conquers their addiction. But many times they'll say, I don't have a problem. You just wasted a whole bunch of time because I don't have a problem. I can stop anytime I want to stop. I enjoy this life. And it's like they are blinded to the truth that what they're doing is not only destroying them, it's destroying all the people around them. That's how Satan blinds people's minds. To get them not to see the damage 
that's going on in their lives or get them to live in such a way that they will never respond to God and his call that all people come to him. So they blind people from the truth. Satan and his demons create distractions. They're really good at this one. In the 1940s classic Screwtape Letters, there's two demons having this conversation. There's the older demon, Screwtape, and there's a younger demon named Wormwood, and Screwtape is teaching Wormwood how to tempt humans. And in the conversation, he says, the busier we can make someone, the more we can distract them from focusing on the things of God. There's an old quote that says, when the devil can't make you sin, he just makes you busy. Now, I understand some of this could sound really strange. Thinking about this spiritual world, and you've probably seen the, all the crazy movies and all the stuff about spiritual warfare and about demons or ghosts or, or evil and hauntings and all that stuff, and that may be what's coming up in your mind. But I believe that our culture is so distracted, it blinds us to a lot of these spiritual realities that exist. Just go to a third world country where all the distractions that we have, they don't have. And so the only way the forces of evil can get to them because they don't have the stuff to be distracted by is directly intervening. That is why you hear missionaries who go to third world countries tell stories about demon possession, about interactions with the spiritual. When I was in Guatemala a couple of years ago, we went to this slum, the largest slum in South America. 60,000 people live in this hole, and the things that happen to people there, the things that happen to children there, the things people do to each other there, it's horrific. And I'd heard about it. And Joel and me and a couple other people from LifePoint, we went and we walked down in that ravine. And as, if you've been there, as you walk down in that ravine, or anywhere like that, there is this spiritual darkness that you can sense, that you can feel. It's really not there up top. Even though up top doesn't look a lot better, there's just something about walking down into this place of darkness where murder and deceit and unspeakable things happen. I remember one night, one day, they say, don't be down there at night. Whatever you do, don't stay down at night. And we're at this Bible study in this shack they call a house. And I'm looking up at this guy going, all right, it took us 30 minutes to get here. And there ain't 30 minutes of daylight left. Uh, I know we're enjoying studying the Bible, but it's time to stop. <laughs> we need to go. And we even took a shortcut out where we zigzag up the side of the hill because I, I was scared to death. I was like, this is it, end of my life. They told us not to be here in the dark. We're here at night. It's obviously I'm not Guatemalan, so I'm in trouble. <laughs> we got out. We didn't feel threatened, but I did feel this spiritual oppression. And there's something about our distractions that makes us not pay attention to that. So does Satan have to work to try to destroy your marriage? No, he just has to distract you. Because there's so many things that can distract us. Does Satan have to work really hard to destroy relationships in your life, to destroy your finances? Not really. You do a great job at that on your own sometimes. Because of distraction. And distraction from spiritual things are one of the most effective ways that the side of evil interacts in our lives. 
See, Satan and his demons, they're finite beings. Demons are not, it's not one demon per person. There's only a certain number of them. So if they can get us off the right track, and then they can leave us alone, and they can go somewhere else to more productive waters for them. Satan and his demons also deceive. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. That's how people can get to the place where they think they're living right, but they're not. They believe with all their heart the way they're supposed to live. That's what they want to do. But they're deceived. And Satan does a really good job at deceiving people. I've had people tell me when they're in the middle of some of the worst decisions of their life, I've had people say to me, I know God just wants me to be happy. Now, inside, I'm thinking, you need slapped all about the face because (laughs) the Bible never says that God's goal is to make people happy. God's goal is to get you into a relationship with him, to teach you contentment, to teach us how to treat each other. Happiness is not in the equation until we get to heaven. All right? You can have joy. You can enjoy life. You can get content. But God's not saying, well, what can I do for them so they'll be happy? Well, we would say, well, give me all the stuff I want, and I'll be really happy. So Satan deceives. Satan is not all powerful, though. Even though he's, he's really good at blinding and distracting and deceiving, he's not all-powerful. He's not God's evil twin. And a lot of people see him that way. It's not this tug of war where God's like, oh, I'm about to lose. Satan's really getting the better of me. That is not the way it works. He's less powerful. Even though he has power, he's less powerful than God. And as, it, as you read through the scriptures, you'll see that his imminent demise is coming. In fact, it really happened 2,000 years ago with Jesus, and then we're in this period before Jesus comes back again, where he does have influence in our world. He does have power, but he still has limitations. Satan doesn't know your thoughts. He can't hear what you're thinking. He can't be everywhere all the time. But he does have more power than you do alone. Maybe you got the question, all right, what about this demon possession thing? Can people be demon possessed? You hear about it. You hear people talk about it. Is it possible? It is impossible for a person who has the spirit of God living in them to be demon possessed. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, you cannot be demon possessed. Can you be influenced by forces of evil? Absolutely. Can they influence you to do things you shouldn't do? Yes. Can they inhabit you? No, nothing in scripture says that that's even possible. Father Gary Thomas, a Catholic exorcist, says where we need to be careful is in opening up a door for the spiritual forces of evil to have greater influence or even be inhabited in our life. So he says, be really careful. He was asked, what should people do if they don't want to become involved with demonic activity? He, quote, he says, stay away from psychics, Ouija boards, seances, Wicca, earth worship, witchcraft, spells, crystals, and Justin Bieber. <laughs> just kidding. Totally kidding. Not, I, I just, 
felt a little dry, felt like I needed to interject a little humor, a little heavy. So he didn't say that. Crystals and anything that uses the metaphysical as a means to try to find answers to life's questions. Messing around with that stuff is dangerous. If you are a teenager, especially, you probably feel some temptation or you know people who mess around with some of that stuff. Leave it alone. Don't open a door for the evil to come into your life. And although Satan has power, there's one thing the Bible tells us to do, and he'll leave us alone. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. So if there's this, you know, the good side and the evil side, and we're pulled back and forth, the more we resist the evil and move towards the good, the more, and we're going to mess up, we're going to make mistakes, but the more we go towards God, the more we try to live our lives close to God in the way we make decisions and the way we treat our families and the way we are as an employer and the way we treat others, the more we do that and move closer to God, that's resisting evil. And the more we refuse to allow ourselves to be deceived and distracted and blinded, the more we refuse that, the more he's going to move on to more productive places where people just welcome him in. So how do do you resist? Well, God has an army that's also powerful, that also has influence in the lives of humans. We're going to talk a lot more in depth about God's Holy Spirit that inhabits everyone who follows Christ. We're going to talk a whole week just about that next Sunday. But God also has these other warriors in his army called angels. And angels do exist. They do have influence in our lives. And the same way demons aren't the souls of bad dead people, angels are not the souls of good dead people. I mean, I know when someone we love and is close to us passes away, it it is so comforting to think they're watching over me or they're here or I can feel them. And really, the reality is you feel their influence. You feel their encouragement throughout your life. So in that sense, yes, they are with you. But them with wings flying over top of you, that doesn't happen as far as the Bible says. My grandmother was a great godly woman. And I can remember, she died when I was 16 years old. And I can remember when she, when she passed away. And there were so many memories of just sitting. She was sick the, the whole time I can remember. But I can remember sitting by her bed just listening to her tell stories or give me encouragement or, or say something to me about advice in life. That is still with me today. So in that sense, she is still with me. But hovering over me, watching me, I'm really glad she's not because I've done some stuff that I don't want grandma to see. I mean, I'm glad. She's with God. She's in heaven. No question about that. And her influence is still in my life. But watching, there's nothing biblically that would lead us to believe that that's what happens. So the biblical perspective of angels is that they are messengers. The word angel simply means messenger. And they can look a lot of different ways. They can, they can uh, look like this big, big being that shows up. And a lot of times when angels showed up, people fell down like they were dead. They hit the dirt. Sometimes they just showed up as men. Sometimes they just showed up as people. In fact, 
you may have met an angel, according to what the Bible says. Hebrews 13 says, do not forget to entertain angels or entertain strangers. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. I've met people and thought, there's something different about them. Maybe that was God allowing me to interact with an angel and I didn't even know it. Angels are not little fat babies with wings. And I know that's a lot of pictures of angels. Angels are far from that. They're never referred to as fat little babies with wings. But in scripture, angels are warriors. Second Kings chapter 19 says, that night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. The enemies of God's people were put to death and it was one to 185,000 and the angel won. So they are warriors. They have a lot of power. They're also worshipers. You read through the book of Revelation, you see all these episodes where angels are encircled around the throne of God, worshiping him. So these warriors who worship God, they, they give us direction. They give us protection. When we get off track, they can help us get back on track. There's a story in the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 22. Write that down. You should read this story of a guy named Balaam. And Balaam was going in a direction, physical direction, that God did not want him to go. But he was doing it anyway because he knew better. And this angel shows up to block the way, but Balaam is so dead set on going his direction, doing it his way, that he doesn't even see the angel. But Balaam's donkey sees the angel. So Balaam's donkey sits down and will not get up. And Balaam gets mad at the donkey. He beats the donkey. He kicks the donkey. And this shows how mad he was because the donkey actually spoke and said these words. This is true. Read this. Why are you beating me? And Balaam is so upset, he responds and talks to the donkey. (laughs) The donkey, you know, is like, hey, there's an angel. Look, idiot, right there. And I'm not going another step. And it opens Balaam's eyes. So this angel helped redirect Balaam in the direction in which God wanted him to go. How many times have you heard stories, like if you watch a documentary about September 11th, 2001, about people who said, I just felt like I didn't need to go to work that day. Or, you know, something said, don't go. Or my car broke down. Or I missed the ferry. Or I missed something. and And something said, stay here. And then they end up living. Could that be an angel redirecting their path? And if it is, then why did that not happen for everybody? Our human minds can't even get around the fact, like, why, why would it happen to every? Why would an angel help this person, not the next person? I don't know. And anybody tells you that they know, they're just speculating. I don't know. I do know there's things in this life that there's no way our human minds can get wrapped around. And this is one of them. So don't, don't try to figure all that out. Just know that angels can help change the path we're on and give us encouragement to do that throughout different times in our lives. They provide protection. This has literally happened to me. And when I look back, it's very clear that there was something greater than me protecting me. When I was a teenager, one of my best friends died in a car accident. One of our other friends who had just gotten a brand new car, an IROC Z, thing would fly. 
And she pulled in and we were like, hey, let's, let's go for, show us what that thing will do. Let us get in. And we all get, you know, run to the car to get in. She could only have three people other than her. And somebody got in the front, somebody got in the back seat on the passenger side. I opened the door to get in the back seat on the driver's side. And there was a basket of dirty clothes. I remember that vividly. And I tried to get in and move them, and it was so small back there. I said, I'll tell you what, you guys go, and I'll wait here and come back and get me because I want to ride in this thing, and I want to drive it. They took off. 30 seconds later, they crashed, and my friend died. The back of the car was almost just completely crushed. There's no way anybody could have survived it, and I missed that because of a dirty basket of laundry. Not because of my wisdom, not because like, well, this seems pretty unsafe to get in the back of a car with a teenage driver going to go over 100 miles an hour. I don't think I'll do it. I wasn't thinking that way. I was thinking, come on, this is going to be fun. But I didn't get in. Something spiritual intervened and I'm still here today. Hebrews 1 verse 14 says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? See, we could do a whole series just on, just on angels. We could do a whole series just on any of these, on demons, on Satan, on angels, on the Holy Spirit. But these are the players in this unseen battle that all of us fight. And the truth is, evil doesn't want you to know that. Because the more you know about your opponent, the more aware you are of this spiritual battle, the more likely you are to be on the winning side. And so, hey, if, if we could just not talk about it, Satan would prefer, don't talk about that. Y'all are fine. Live in a great place. Everybody's happy. You got all the stuff you need. Just don't talk about it. Last week when we started this series and I talked about the spiritual battle, this really happened. I was so sick last Sunday morning. I, I was nauseous. I, ca- I felt the bug coming on on Saturday. I was like, oh, no, I've never, in all the years, never had to miss on a Sunday morning because I was sick. And I was, I was sick. I felt clammy. You know, that feeling that's coming on where you feel like any moment it's coming up. Nobody, and I can't stop it. But I thought, I've got to deliver this message. It's really important. And so I slept as long as I could. I laid down as long as I could, even backstage. And I walked out here, delivered the message, first service, walked back there to a teacher's lounge for second service, laid down on the couch. Rob came and got me. I got back up. I came in here and I did it again. And I was feeling so sick as I was talking. I thought, I'm going to hurl right here (laughs) in front of everybody. I don't even remember all the words that I said. I was just trying to get finished as quickly as possible and still give you something that you could take home and learn from and grow from. And I was like, oh my gosh, person coming for the first time. And they're like, man, that preacher just like lost it right on stage. It was like really cool, you know, and somebody putting their iPhone up and it shows up on YouTube. And I was just, I had all these visions in my head, but I've muscled through, I pushed through and I, I, I was able to deliver it. And this week I got a couple of emails from people that said, hey, thank you for saying this because this really helped me in this conflict I'm having with somebody. And they quoted specific things that I said, I honestly do not remember. And I know I said them because they said I did. And I went back and made sure and looked at my notes and I did. But Satan doesn't want us to talk about these kinds of things 
Because this battle is taking place so you will not be able to experience the goodness and grace that God wants you to experience because he wants to keep God's spirit out of you. Because once God's spirit is in your life, once you have stepped into the family of God and given your heart and life to Christ, he cannot take you back. He cannot pull you out of the hands of God. It is not possible. And so what can he do? He can still make your life miserable and have influence, but he can't pull you out of the graces of the salvation that only comes through Christ. And so if he can keep us from talking about this and keep you down and keep people blinded so they don't come to know Christ, he's going to do a much better job at winning the battle. The reality is he was defeated 2,000 years ago. But he's going to fight on his way down and take as many people with him as possible. Colossians 2 verse 15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities... It's talking about Jesus. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Because of Jesus, the battle is won. So we're not fighting a battle that's been lost. We're fighting a battle from a position of strength, from a position of authority. And that authority comes through having the Spirit of God living inside of you. The literal breath of God living inside of people who accept the message of Christ. That's what we're going to talk about next week. I encourage you to read a bunch of these verses if you wrote them down. If not, go to the website and get them. And come back next week as we talk about, well, how does his Holy Spirit help us once and for all win the battle? Let's pray. God, as we deal with the spiritual battle, may you give us strength. And may we feel the protection that comes from your angels, the protection that comes from the spiritual forces of good that are here to keep us close to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.